Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Now back to 95.7 The Game. All right, hour number three. John Dickinson and Dan Devone, 888-957-9570. Talking all things 49ers and Seahawks. Uh, let's bring in uh, our, our lone guest on the program, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Bob Condota, covers the Seahawks uh, for the Seattle Times, among many other things throughout the years. Bob, thanks for, for coming on. We really appreciate it. How are you doing? Sure, yeah. Uh, good. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing very well, Bob. Let's uh, let's just dive right into it. It was, uh, I think, as big a surprise out here in the Bay that Seattle was able to beat Denver as it was the 49ers lost to the Bears, but the Seahawks were able to do it in uh, similar fashion, I think, to the way that the that the the Niners lost to the Bears. What did Seattle do so well, and 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 are they confident that? that maybe they got a little action or was that just kind of a one-off unique environment with Russell Wilson coming back right off the jump? Yeah. Well, you've never met Pete Carroll, right? If you're asking if they're confident. So um, that's Pete Carroll's <laughs> whole thing. I mean, the guy's never had, you know, he's had like two losing seasons his entire career. Um, he's always confident they're going to figure out how to, how to win games. Um, yeah. You know what? They did a really good job of being efficient offensively. Uh, in general, they obviously had the one drive where they didn't score on the, on the fourth, on the fourth down there with, with, you know, uh, seven, but they did take advantage of their opportunity, especially early in the game to score on those, on those three drives in the first half and get the lead. And, you know, they played really well in the red zone. That's something they've actually done really well the last couple of years. I, you know, even last year when they didn't have the greatest record, obviously, but they, they played, um, I think they were third in the NFL in the red zone defense, and they've been really good at doing that, and that was the other thing that, you know, they did those two, really three kind of goal line drives, but but two goal line drives for, uh, you know, they flat out stopped, and then another that they held to a field goal, so, um, you know, they just they just kind of came through when they really had to, you know, they didn't turn the ball over. Uh, in general, DK, had, DK Metcalf had the one fumble, but, you know, otherwise they, they, you know, they didn't have a lot of turnovers. They didn't have a lot of penalties. I mean, Denver had 12 penalties, which were really critical. You know, they had a touchdown call back to do a penalty that would have put them ahead, and it might have changed the whole game. But you know, Seattle just really kind of made fewer mistakes, and it's that's always been one of Pete Carroll's things. You know, you gotta you gotta not lose the game before you can win it, and uh, um, you know, so that's um, that was kind of the formula there. Hey, Bob. Speaking of Pete Carroll, how much of it is a concern? That the Seahawks are starting two rookie left, two rookie tackles. One of it's which not a obviously turn at all. Yeah, I, you know they love those guys. I mean, Charles Cross played. Uh, uh, Abe Lucas played really well at right tackle. Cross struggled a little bit at left tackle, 
And that'll be a really big matchup for him, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, going up against yeah. going up against Bosa when he has to do that. Uh, but, you know, he's ninth overall pick, and, and he was going to go in the top ten, but to somebody. I mean, everybody thought this guy's a foundational um, um, left tackle, uh, you know, for the long term. So, I, I mean, if it was a concern, they wouldn't be doing it, right? I mean, they're the two best tackles they have on the team. Um, they didn't, you know, they didn't bring back Dwayne Brown. Part of it was concern over his injuries. The Jets signed Dwayne Brown to a big contract, and he immediately got hurt. And he's, I think he's going on IR. So, you know, that was sort of their other option. So they decided to go young this year uh, at the tackle spots. And there's going to be some learning curves, no doubt about it. Um, you know, they're not always going to be perfect. But um, they've been really happy with Abe Lucas on the right side. And Cross has played, in general, has played pretty well on the left side as well. Uh, Bob Condota joining us here on 95.7 The Game, talking some 49ers and Seahawks. Uh, what's the, the status of the, the, the 49ers Seattle rivalry at, at, at this point. No more Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll's still there. The Seahawks have mostly been dominant in the in the head-to-heads, really for a decade, the, the entire Russell Wilson era. But uh, d- does this current group still view this as a big game when it's 49er week? I guess, yeah, that's a pretty good question, I guess. I, I don't know what the players think. Um, it, it's such a new team, so there's so many new guys. You know, it's the NFL. They want to win every game, so every game's sort of a big game, and, and I, I don't know how big any individual rivalry is for this team right now, given where everything is. Um, it, you know, Tyler Lockett is, is the longest tenured guy going back to 2015, and then I don't think they have anybody else on the team that's been here longer than four years. So it's, it's really turned over a lot and, and the old days for sure of, of the old, you know, kind of 2012, 13, 14 era when it was such a huge rivalry. Nobody's left from that. So I, I don't think it's quite, you know, I, I mean, I think everything is big because you just got a bunch of young guys in general that are trying to kind of find their way in the NFL. So I don't know if you're looking at any specific game as being any bigger than any other right now with the way this team, with the way this team is built. But, you know, I, 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 I'm sure they'll, they'll they'll hear about it from coaches, and, and I'm sure some of the guys who know the history remember that. Um, you know, remember the you know the 2013 NFC title game. Obviously, is one of the biggest games in franchise history. So the guys always hear about that game. Bob, what's the buy-in right now for Geno Smith as a quarterback? Is he that guy that everybody witnessed 13 to 13 to start the game, or are we going to see sort of the the Geno Smith that everybody's sort of grown accustomed to since he came out of West Virginia coming up on Sunday? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's played really well for the Seahawks. Um, you know, if, if you go look at the stats in his four games, he does what the – I mean, the buy-in is, is Pete Carroll, <laughs> basically, if he needs to buy into him. And, and Pete loves him right now because he's, he, he does what he needs to do. Um, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't turn the ball over, and he makes the plays when they're there to be made. He's got a six – you know, in the four starts he's had as a Seahawks, he's got a six-to-nothing touchdown-to-interception ratio. Um, and I think it's seven to one overall in the games he's played. So, um, you know, they, they, uh, if you watched the game the other day, I mean, they, they, you know, the third down run that he had, um, when he, when they, you know, they call, they call the designed run for a 31 year old quarterback to pick up a third and two. Um, you know, there, there's some things he can do that they like. And the biggest thing that won him the job over Drew Locke is that he's not screwing things up. He's not, he's not, he's not, um, throwing the ball up for grabs. So, you know, if you look at his yards per, yards per attempt, it's not super impressive, but that's sort of how they feel like they have to win is, is taking care of the ball. Um, 
taking what the defense gives them, you know, don't, don't turn the ball over, let your defense and special teams um, pin the other team back and play well that way. And so that's what they like about Geno Smith is that they feel like he's a really efficient quarterback. And Geno's talked about that a lot, about how, you know, his first year in particular, if you, if you look at his stats, his first year with the Jets was, was was he was pretty careless with the ball since then when he's when he's been able to start uh, you know the 2014 season and then the starts he's had since then he's been pretty good at not turning the ball over and, and he's talked about you know he sort of learned that after his first year in new york and that's sort of what you got to do you got to not lose the game before you can win it and he's really bought into that philosophy from from Pete carroll Bob, final question for you as far as Pete and his defense going up against a young quarterback and a quarterback that, as crazy as it may sound, could be if if the Seahawks can get a win playing for his job already with Jimmy Garoppolo waiting in the wings out here. Uh, what, what do you anticipate from a Pete Carroll defense going up against a quarterback with three starts in his NFL career? Yeah, I, th- I think they'll try to do probably what they did against Denver, where uh, and what they've sort of done the last couple of years is I think they'll try to make the quarterback have to make plays, and I, I don't know that they're going to be overly aggressive and and present opportunities. I think they'll try to do it the other way, whether they try to keep everything in front of them and make it you've got to work your way down the field and. We're going to force you to make a mistake at some point, and so um, I think you know that's sort of Pete Carroll's philosophy anyway. If you remember, you know, even in the Legion of Boom era, it was always, you know, uh, those guys would always complain that they didn't feel like the defense was aggressive enough. But when you don't have uh, you know Hall of Fame quarterbacks back there, you're going to be even less aggressive because they're not going to want to put those guys on an island a whole lot. So um, you know, I, I think especially against the younger quarterback. Um, they're gonna they're gonna try to be careful and, and make them have to do it that way and you know try to keep things in front of them and cut their way down the field and that's exactly how they beat Denver you know Russell threw for a lot of yards they just didn't they just couldn't get it in the end zone and um, that's always been Pete Carroll's philosophy is that he doesn't really care how many yards you get he just cares about how many points you get and so they're gonna make they're gonna make Trey Lance have to make the plays to get the ball to the end zone and and they're gonna try to keep everything in front of them and, and you know if George if George Kittle doesn't play that's a really big deal I you know if you he, he has the uh, all-time record in this series for receiving yards in that game last year. Um, they really struggled defending him, and they would struggle to defend him because that's that's a big question mark without having Jamal Adams and sort of the linebacker uh, situation that they have. Um, but they feel pretty good about their corners, and so I, I think they feel like they, they, they'd be okay from that standpoint. So that'll be a really big thing to watch is whether Kittle can play. Bob, great stuff. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. Bob Bob Condota joining us here at Seattle Times, covers the Seahawks. Good perspective on them. And uh, interesting, the last bit of knowledge on making Trey Lance play quarterback, because I don't know if you saw it, I'm sure you did, Uh, Jalen Johnson of the Bears, uh, he mentioned it after the game. Uh, we tried to make Trey Lance play quarterback, and and that was part of uh, you know, the Bears thought you know no no big plays that went for touchdowns. They did give up some big ones, but try and take the explosive runs away and make him beat you throwing the football. And there were a lot of other factors, but Trey Lance was unable to beat the Bears consistently in those elements, at least throwing the football. Yeah, and I think from the 49ers' perspective, they want to sort of avoid that. They want to stay away from predictable downs, third and long, where you have to put it in his arm, the ball in his hands, and knowing everybody in the stadium, and especially that defense of the Seahawks, knowing that he's going to try and throw the ball down the field. I, I felt you were there, so I, I liked your insight, that 
the 49ers' most effective drive is when they scored that touchdown. And I don't know where they, they took over, somewhere around midfield. You had that pass that we've alluded to when Trey Lance had time, stepped up, threw a beautiful dime, dropped it into Ray Ray McLeod in front of the safeties over the linebackers. It was picturesque. But throughout that drive, J.D., there was, we saw the option, and that's the operative word. I think that when he's utilized at his most effective is when you have that options resonating in the back of your head as a defender. You're on roller skates. You don't know whether Trey Lance is going to pitch, keep it, and or throw the football. And it seemed as though they were able to ex- execute that ability of having the option of whether or not Trey Lance was going to do one of those three, and they marched right down the field, stuck it into the end zone. They were in rhythm, but they were in rhythm in a different way. In a rhythm and not with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball underneath, but rather in rhythm in an offense that was custom-made towards Trey Lance, where, again, there was that option word, not sure of what it was that he was going to do with the football. No, they were they were on point uh, on on that drive, and and they were on point. I thought the really the whole first half they were in a pretty good rhythm for the most part. I mean, Debo gets the ball popped out by Jalen Johnson, who we just mentioned, who took that that not so low key shot at, at Trey Lance after the ball game. But he's able to do the the peanut punch and and, and force a turnover right there, which which keeps the Forty ers from at least getting three. Then you had that second possession where Lance took the sack that cost him points after he missed Croft. So that's six to fourteen points right off the bat that the Niners you know left on the table. But yeah, that that series where the he hits the twenty yarder to McLeod, and then they're they're in sync, they're in rhythm. I, I mean, I think overall this game was this game was on track until deep into the third quarter. Even though the Niners, you could make the case, probably should have been up sixteen to nothing at a minimum when they were only up ten, and maybe that changes the outcome of the game. I think it would have changed the outcome of the game, to be perfectly honest, uh, because I don't think the Niners would have been in position where they were down with Trey Lance having to make a big play that led to the inter- you know the interception directly led to the third touchdown like we can you know we can say oh the defense gave it up and this and that I mean that was a short field interception led to the touchdown uh, type of scenario in a moment where you just can't can't have that that kind of interception but as far as the first half and the game being on schedule and and some penalties that that helped shoot the the 49ers in the foot I I thought I thought the game. I mean, that that's in some ways why that game going awry to the extent that it did is is a bigger concern than it would have been ordinarily for me. Is the fact that they did a lot of things well and still wound up losing the game by nine points. And getting back to the interception, I was listening to Chris Sims, and he said one of the many knocks on Trey Lance, and we don't want to sit here and just dog on the young quarterback, but Chris Sims was piling on and said one thing that he does that jumps out at him on tape is that he is locking into wide receivers. And when Trey Lance is thinking he's looking off Eddie Jackson, and I looked at it again on YouTube, and it's just almost a glancing sort of trying to look him off in the other direction. Eddie Jackson read that right from the jump. Now, maybe that works again at North Dakota State, but when you get to the NFL, if you're locking in on wide receivers, that's a tough road to hoe. But I do want to get back to, you were there, and I emphasize that because we have talked about the the weather conditions and the rain, and you said it was a bit overblown. Can you explain yourself? Yeah, it. well, it look, it dumped from about, 
10 o'clock in the morning central time. So from about so the game kicked at 10 Pacific out here. So to think of it as 8 8 in the morning out here to about 9:30. So from 2 hours before kickoff until a half hour before kickoff, it poured like it did at in the fourth quarter. I, the the only thing I was getting at was it stopped in let's you know, let's say twenty to thirty minutes before kickoff, and they brought the squeegees out. And look, it was a slip. It was a slick surface. It was a wet surface. They did the best they could to try and get the puddles off the field right before kickoff. But it was a very light rain, and at times no rain at all for a majority of the game, mm. all the way up until the fourth quarter. And 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 so that was. You know, and so it, it it played a role, but it wasn't. Um, I've heard a lot of it was a monsoon. It was not a monsoon for seventy five percent of the game. It was a monsoon when the Niners got down uh, nineteen to ten and and had to try and score two touchdowns in the last seven eight minutes of the game. Like that, yeah, that's when it was a monsoon, and nobody was going to be able to to do anything there. But I, I do think there's been a little bit of revisionist history with. The fact that well, the second half Trey wasn't as good, and the and the line wasn't as good because it turned into a monsoon. And and again, there was it, it was raining at times, but he was comfortable enough with it in the first half. Uh, and again, I'll throw out the final seven to ten minutes like that. But but the but don't get those last seven to ten minutes twisted with the way it looked like in the first forty five fifty minutes of the game. Yeah, and I think just to be fair, and again, not to be, <laughs> not to, to continually defend Jimmy Garoppolo, but if we're going to throw out those last 10, 11 minutes where it was just coming down at a ridiculous pace, and don't we also have to throw out the majority of what was the ugliest game of Jimmy Garoppolo's season a year ago in that loss to Indianapolis in that atmospheric river? And I heard a lot of people go after Jimmy Garoppolo and just simply said that, look at. Carson Wentz was able to pierce through the rain. Carson Wentz has a stronger arm. He played in the same conditions. And I just said, look, at it. it's it's one of those, put an asterisk next to it. Who plays in, in weather conditions like that? So I, I just, again, not that Jimmy Garoppolo has to make his way into every conversation when it comes to Trey Lance, but it's interesting because I'm with you that those weather conditions are, I mean, it's it's ridiculous to even try and play football, especially at the quarterback position, especially when you got to throw the ball and everybody knows it because you're down two scores. But I think the also it should it should also apply to Jimmy Garoppolo of a year ago. No, and and I, and I think it does, and a lot of people brought that up, uh, and and that was not a, but that was a game that was played with the conditions of the fourth quarter or pregame for the entire game. Yeah. Like that was that was a, a scenario where it was uh, you know a little bit of a day. I'm not making an excuse for anybody. I, I'm just saying and, and look we had Brian Baldinger on uh when I was in yesterday for Dibs, Willard and Willard and Dibs here at ninety five seven the game. And I'm I'm aligned with this, but we asked him about the rain and part of the reason is because and I'll I'll get that forecast, you know, cloudy with periods of rain for tomorrow in Santa Clara. High near seventy Winds south to southeast, 10 to 20 miles an hour. Chance of rain, 80%. Rainfall around a quarter of an inch. Now, they were talking inch and a half, two inches in Chicago uh, over the course of of last week and on Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's going to be some rain tomorrow in in all likelihood. Now, we'll see. You never know. Is it going to be right in that three-hour window? It looked like the worst of it was going to be, you know, was not going to, happened during the game last week and then the final 
30 minutes of the game, it was it was a downpour of, of epic proportions. But uh, I want to set up this cut because I'm I'm aligned with with Brian Baldinger on this. Uh, we asked him about about Trey Lance playing playing in the elements, and here's what he said: now He's used to throwing a wet ball. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, like it's part of the league. You can't like determine what the weather's going to be like. Yeah, yeah, everybody would like to have it, you know, sunny and no wind and perfect conditions. But if it's not going to be perfect conditions, you find out a lot about a quarterback. San Francisco went to Green Bay in January last year and beat the Packers in horrible weather. It's not a good field. It's too cold for, you know, human consumption. Like, you just got to be able to deal with all the elements. It's part of playing a game. Yeah, and and in essence, it was hey, Trey Lance should be able to play in the rain, and and I and I think he he was fine. Uh, you know, again in the in the the first half and and into the third quarter, I thought solidly. So I'm I'm less concerned about that part of it. I I think it revisionist history became an excuse for those that were uh, you know overly concerned about how much of the quote unquote blame Trey Lance was was you know getting for for the 49er loss in Chicago but but no go protect the football and 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 handle your business like I I have no confidence I have plenty of confidence that Trey Lance can can throw a ball that's a little bit wet well he better be able to because that's just as Baldy pointed out that's just part of the job description where are you at with if you were to look back at that first game there's some who subscribe to the fact that look at it's a mulligan it's the first game of the year. You get those sort of demons out. Strange things happen in the beginning of the season. That compounded with the fact of that monsoon, not monsoon, the, the rainy conditions that, that you're, we're all putting too much into that one game that was an opener where, again, it's susceptible. You don't have to go any further than what happened a year ago with the eventual MVP. I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers that came out through a pick six, got intercepted, and got blown out by New Orleans. And then, of course, we saw Green Bay turn out to be a really good team once again a year ago. So are we putting too much into just one game and not allowing some of those – some of those things that can creep into the first game of the of a campaign like that of uh, the, the sort of strange behavior that we saw. And also when you add into the fact that it was also raining cats and dogs. No, we're not at all, because to me, the opponent trumps all of that. Okay. And you, you lose that game and it's a horrible loss. I, I said it after the game. And I've said it and maintained it throughout the week. I think that's a top five worst loss in the Shanahan era. I, I think it could be as high as maybe two or three in terms of, of regular season losses. I actually had a hard time finding that many that, that were worse just off the off the top of my head uh, when you consider the opponent. And and so, no, I, I think that's a game. Like the conditions are built for the Niners' strengths. Right, defense, physicality, running the football, imposing their will—like the Niners should be a good mutter type of a team. Like that's so. Like, to me, forget it. And you know, for the guy coming down my road, and I'll, I'll get to this, and we'll before we get to the break here, seven oh seven. It was a monsoon in the fourth quarter when it mattered. Shanahan said it was the heaviest rain of his career. Stop it, JD. You're wrong, dude. The game was over when the monsoon conditions hit. The game was over. Trey Lance had already thrown the interception that led to the touchdown that made it 19 to 10. And yes, at that point, you're not going to score two touch, you know, two scores in seven eight minutes in a monsoon. So I'm throwing that part of it out. But the monsoon's not why Trey Lance threw the interception. And if anything, that's all the more reason why the Niners needed to make 
more of early in the game when the conditions weren't as severe as the Bears ultimately made more of the earlier conditions. It, the, the weather, for the most part, was not as big of a deal as people made it. Fourth quarter, sure. Game was over. The game was over in the fourth quarter. You're down two scores. You're not winning that game at that point. So I'm not, like, I'm also not holding Trey Lance accountable for, or anybody accountable for how it looked when the when the field was practically flooding in those last six seven minutes of the game. But but it was not as big a factor in the first three quarters of the game. Yeah, I don't think you, even if it does rain tomorrow. It's not going to be similar to the sort of rain no. you witnessed last week. So excuses out the door as far as tomorrow is concerned. All right, he's Dan Devone. I'm John Dickinson. We got 90 minutes to go. Eight 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 nine five seven nine five seven zero. We'll get to more phone calls coming up. We'll get it started with Larry in Dublin on the other side. It's JD Devone, ninety five seven. The game. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now back to 95.7 The Game. John Dickinson, Dan Devone, and you... 888-957-9570. Lots to get to. A couple people coming down my road on the Comcast business text line, which is which is all good, Dan. You know that. I I can I can take it. Don't pay I can attention take to it. it. I can dish it. Yeah, I, I stopped reading that stuff, so I'm just uh, I got the horse blinders on. I don't pay attention to it. Do you, my man? I know you you know you work enough with your guy Alan Styles to where you you know how to deal with somebody that might become a little fixated on it. Uh, all, all in good fun. All in good fun. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's get back to the phones though uh, as we continue the conversation. Niners and the Seahawks. Uh, Larry in Dublin uh, is up next here. Longest hold on the board. What's going on, Larry? 
Hey, man, thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been listening to all the comments about Trey, 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 and and the Niners. But I thought, I looked at the game. If he just took Trey out of the equation for that game and look at the overall play of the 49ers and the coaching, and you have to admit, you know, the defense had these penalties that led to scores for Chicago. Um, The coaching staff didn't change up after Mitchell got hurt. They went back to the old standard of Debo, and you had these other two running backs that you didn't like. So I think you know, sometimes we give too much blame and too much credit on the quarterback win or lose, and we don't take enough time to evaluate the total team and how they perform. I just think that the team overall did not perform well based on what we thought about the team for this particular game in Chicago. That's what I wanted. No to doubt. Thanks, guys. No doubt. I think that's a. I think that's a great call. I, I mean, it. We talked about the missed opportunities early, which I think some of that. I mean, Trey Lance admitted after the game he took responsibility. I, I thought in the comments where he he listed the five plays where he thought he could have done this or that better and and took a lot of the heat himself. I I thought that was while admirable uh, a little bit little bit too strong and a little bit too critical of himself, which I think you like to see a starting quarterback willing to do that. But uh, as far as what Larry is talking about here, uh, yeah, I mean, the the you couple of defensive penalties on third down mm. when you're getting off the field and the Bears who hadn't been able to do anything all day are still on a zero on the scoreboard. And yeah, you get the Greenlaw face mask when it's 10 nothing. You get the defensive hold when it's 10-7 and then a personal foul on top of it. And the Bears, when they would have been punting, wound up scoring touchdowns on both of those drives. So yeah, that is a huge, huge deal. And it it goes to one of the things that I had tweeted about during the week, and I think this was on Monday as I was getting ready to leave Chicago, but it was it's kind of funny, the, the, the 49er topic loop, essentially, that we find ourselves in. Uh, and it's, Lance wasn't good enough. Just, okay, that's where it starts, right? Lance wasn't good enough, but what about the D? But the D dominated the first three quarters. How is it on them? But the offense has to score more than 10. But the turnover, mm-hmm. Debo got it punched out, penalties. And Lance made some big-time throws. But he also missed Croft, as we talked about. But the bad interception that he threw. But the monsoon. But And then you go back and you look at Trey Lance's stat line after a loss, whereas if we're looking at that same stat line after a win and you come back to, well, he wasn't, he wasn't good enough. But there were other areas and aspects of this team that, flat out were a bigger part of the reason that they lost. Yeah, good call by Larry because what we're two and a half hours deep into the show and it's the first time we're talking about the penalties, which had as much to do with the loss to the Chicago Bears as the play of Trey Lance and everybody else, if not more so. And I'll single out one Dre Greenlaw and young man, you cannot do that. I think that the, the problem going forward and the level of concern that I would have is that Kyle Shanahan on the 49ers, you don't, nor does any coach ever want to be labeled as an undisciplined football team. But I don't know if this is necessarily the outlier. Did we not see the potential of this happening with that last preseason game against Houston with the numerous penalties? So you don't want this to be a pattern of your football team 
because that becomes whether you put it on D'Amico Ryans or whether you put it on the lap of Kyle Shanahan. This oftentimes, to me, when you're talking about a team that frequently gets penalized, that to me is a direct cause and effect with bad coaching. And, and not to go off to Kyle Shanahan, but if this continues, who else are you going to blame? As opposed to that of Matt Aberflus. Now, look, we had no idea what sort of coach he was going to be in game one and or who he's going to be from this point forward. But the one thing in talking to people from Chicago was that in doing interviews throughout last week, the one thing that they noticed that he was one of those guys that wanted to change, quote unquote, the culture in the environment. Okay, you hear that all the time. What exactly does that mean? Well, he was holding players accountable. He wanted his team to be disciplined. And you have to keep in mind that he cut his teeth as the defensive coordinator or on that side of the ball and as the D coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. So it was something that was emphasized right from the jump. When he took over Chicago, we're not going to beat ourselves. As a result, what, three penalties for 24 yards? And you begin to wonder whether the 49ers are an undisciplined team for the 11 penalties for nearly 100. And... To me, that had as much to do with the outcome of that contest as anything else, J.D. It did. It, it, it absolutely did. I mean, the, the, even if you don't look at the sheer number, and the sheer number was a problem, and the 49ers were the third most penalized team in the NFL in 2021, they were tied with Denver for the second most penalties in week one. Jacksonville had 13. Denver and the 49ers both had 12. And Denver and the 49ers both had two of the worst losses of any team in the NFL in, in week one. And you look by on the flip side, Seattle, they had five. You mentioned the Bears with, with the three. Uh, the only team with fewer than three was Green Bay, who had two, and, and they got blown out, so it didn't really matter. But yeah, the Niners' third most penalties last season and the second most tied with Denver for, for week one. And if there is a knock on Kyle Shanahan's teams, at times they are shoddy and undisciplined and, and unprepared. I, like, I think that's actually been a fair criticism of his teams. There's, there's been enough games and enough big games where they've come out and imposed their will, but even go back to, to where you say, hey, they were prepared and the game plan was on point and, and they had a, a, a knack for being able to work themselves through maybe some things that weren't going their way, but just go back to the – you remember the Dallas – game in the playoffs back in January. Sure. I mean, the the Niners were every the Niners were incredibly unprepared and undisciplined in that game. The Cowboys just happened to be worse <laughs> and one of the and and it was but it was and that was, you know, that's a playoff game. That's the biggest game of the year to that point and 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 that plays a role in it, but I I absolutely think it's a fair criticism, Dan, of Kyle Shanahan's teams that there have been too many games where they are a little too sloppy, whether it's turnovers, whether it's it's kind of the unforced penalties or just having a sheer number that's that's far higher than it needs to be. We, if you were to look at that game before kickoff and you're looking at the rosters and you clearly can see that the 49ers are a better football team on paper, well, okay, well then, what could be the equalizer? Well, it could be penalties. Let's not, let's not hurt ourselves because if we execute, we're a better team, we'll win the football game. And then conversely, if you're Matt Eberflus and you're Chicago, you're saying to yourself, okay, how can we stay competitive when we're clearly inferior, when you look at this team pound for pound as far as roster matching up player for player and position for position? Well, the one thing we can control is not 
committing errors and hurting ourselves. We can't control George Kittle being better than our tight end. We can't control Trent Williams being all pro at tackle. But we can control the few things we can control that's within our own means are things like that of penalties. Let's not be stupid. Let's take care and be a disciplined football team. And more often than not, those teams, even though they're inferior in terms of quality, can stay competitive. And as we saw last week, J.D., even pull the upset like Chicago did against the Niners. Well, the 49ers believe that part of the reason why they could have a young and inexperienced quarterback develop while they win, and not just win, but win at a high level, win at a playoff level, win at a level to where they have the potential to make a Super Bowl run, was the fact that they were going to be so good in all of these different areas to where Trey wouldn't have to be perfect. You know, Trey wouldn't have to be a big-time playmaker week in and week out to, to almost save them. And to this point, they're, they're 0 for 1 in that category as well. Like, you could say he's 0 and 1, and, and he is, and that leads to added pressure considering the opponent. Uh, you know, and, and there's no doubt it does, but the Niners are 0 and 1 in the we're going to do everything else so well that he, that he can get by just being solid as he grows into the role of being a franchise quarterback. They they didn't hit that mark either, and it was a big-time L the way that that game flamed out on them as it went. Yeah, and I think that's the recipe going forward. And ideally, you would think that, okay, let's just insulate the young quarterback, all right, until he gets up to speed or at least... Maybe until I have a sense of security, I being Kyle Shanahan, and giving him more on his plate as far as his responsibilities to win a game. But as of right now, let's have him just do enough. Meanwhile, defense, that means it's going to be added pressure on you. There's going to be an added emphasis on you dictating whether some you can put up some points and or field position or keep the opponent under 10 to, to, four, to two scores a game. And then all the other pieces around Trey Lance, the Debo Samuels, all those bells and whistles and the Ayukes and the Kittles and the running attack, that that has to be, and, and Trent Williams, that has to be up to par so that, again, our quarterback has to do just enough. I wonder at times whether Kyle Shannon, who has made and created a reputation of being a player coach, you know, sometimes there's that fine line, how do I befriend the player and also be this disciplinarian? Now, I don't know whether that's something he grapples with, but... But more often than not, you see the player coach falling into this sort of, well, we're having a lot of penalties, comparatively speaking, to other teams. So I'm wondering whether he can be, you know, whether he can go Bill Parcells at times and be a little old school and, and bust out a little Bill Belichick when he needs to. He, he's got to be who he is. And, and I think who he is is, I mean, he's somebody that can get upset. I don't think there's much doubt about it. He's somebody, especially... I mean, at, especially at, at undisciplined play and, and at, at simple mistakes that he feels shouldn't be happening. And I mean, I, I would imagine the Niners look at, at some of those penalties and, and probably think a couple of them shouldn't have been penalties. A couple of them were circumstances where maybe it was a little tough to stop in the elements. And, you know, I, I, when Justin Fields gave himself up on the sideline and what was it, Greenlaw came flying in and, and, and hit him hit him in the in the head there. I mean, that's that's one of those penalties that, you know, it, could it have been not called, I guess, but they always call it. And it's tough with the footing, though, to, to, to stop yourself and, and prevent yourself from, from falling on the guy in that particular instance. The other ones are just stupid ones that can't happen in the in the situations. I mean, the 12 for 99 is one thing. 
but it's the two specifically that, that we mentioned that kept drives alive mm. on third down when the Bears hadn't scored a single point. It didn't matter that the Niners missed opportunities and should have been up 20 to nothing or at least 16 to nothing uh, when it was only 10. It didn't matter until a couple of those penalties directly led to on the, the coming plays Bears touchdowns, and then the 49ers found themselves down in a game where they were trying to have Trey Lance almost have to go save it for him. And that's the part where I do think it's unfair to ask him to do that. And then he makes his biggest mistake of the game, which is throwing the interception now that you're down, and then the ball game's over and the monsoon comes and, and all of that. So it's it's all interconnected, but, but the penalties were, I, I think the two third down penalties oh. were probably... That and the miss throw to Croft were probably the three biggest plays of the game, and and you could throw the 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 uh, the Debo fumble or the ball getting punched out by Johnson as the fourth. Not only had Chicago not scored, Chicago could not move the football via the ground or the air against the 49ers up until that point. I would argue that that was the most effective offensive play for that of Chicago up until that point, and that is the penalties by that of the 49ers. They were stymied. They were stonewalled. They could do nothing against that defense. But you know the old adage, J.D., if you, you let a young team at home hang around, you give them a sense of confidence like that for Chicago, and, and they're still in this. Look, at when they went to the break and the score seven nothing. Everybody had to be scratching their head. And if you're in that Chicago locker room, you're saying, hey, listen, man, we got an opportunity because this thing, quite frankly, should have been 28 to nothing. And so the fact that they got a chance to hang on, and a lot of that is due in large part to what you just laid out, the fact that they should have been off the field, but instead of a three and out, they're going 15 yards down the field because of an ignorant personal foul penalty. And that gave them life. It sustained drives. It led to touchdowns for a team up until then had no pulse, J.D., no pulse at, at all. And at that point, the Niners looked, and I, I even tweeted it out at the time. I mean, it looked like the Bears were not going to be able to score an offensive touchdown unless they got help. And that the Niners maybe were – and look, you get it back, it's 10 nothing, And sure, you could make that case, as we just did, that it should have been 20. But you continue to run the football, and you make some simple throws, and you avoid turning the rock over, and you probably go down and kick another field goal. And then the Bears have got to score two touchdowns and drive the field against your pass rush and then you know the same thing that was in play for the Niners once they got down two scores would have been in play with the with the Bears I mean if it's if you're telling me it's 13 to nothing and and the Bears have got to go get two touchdowns and it gets to 10 nine minutes to go in the game and the monsoon like conditions come in and the Bears have to now drive the field a couple of times to get six they would have had no shot just as the Niners had no shot yeah, and that, again, that's Justin Fields and not Patrick Mahomes that you're putting the ball in. So it's it becomes that much more daunting for that of the Chicago Chicago Bears. You know, when I singled out Kyle Shanahan, and you're right, he he cracks on guys and he has a temper and he lets everybody know that you you got to play it a certain way. But the one reason, or the one I should say, the one player that I think that there's this level of concern is Dre Greenlaw. While he's an outstanding young linebacker, but there are some histrionics. Bad game. Yeah, but bad game. Doesn't this sort of date back to last year? I remember specifically in that last game of the regular season when they were in Los Angeles and needed that win in order to get to the postseason. Again, stupid penalties 
by one guy, and that was Drake Greenlaw. So I'm wondering if, if this is a pattern of behavior, whether it's Kyle Shanahan or D'Amico Ryans, do you not pull him aside at some point throughout the offseason and say, look it, you need to, in order for you to be that top-tier potential on the precipice of being an all-pro linebacker, you have to eradicate this. You need to pay attention. You need to focus on stop making stupid penalties. And here it is in week one, repeating itself. And when things repeat itself, again, I hearken back to that there's some coaching deficiencies, whether it's D'Amico Ryans and or Kyle Shanahan. I'm inclined to believe they've probably done that. I mean, at, at, at different times with, with different players. I think at some point, though, it just, it, at some point, it's just ingrained in who that player is, and you hope you can mitigate some of it, but you're never going to be able to mitigate all of it, and that there are enough other positive things that, that that player brings to the table to where the positives outweigh the negatives, and and then and then you can kind of move forward there. Uh, because I, I think at this point, I would have. It, it just feels like that's you know, if somebody's going to come up with that kind of a penalty in a bad in a bad time, it, it feels like fifty seven would be the guy that'd be the most apt, <laughs> maybe on the forty ers to come up with it. Unfor- and, and you know what? All teams I think have players like that, right? All teams can point to one or two guys where if something's going to go wrong at a big moment. In in that fashion, you kind of know who it's going to be before it happens, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I get it. There's a fine line because you want him to play on that edge, right? Because that's why he's such a good football player. And there's that fine line of crossing over to making that dumb penalty. You know, as we single out Dre Greenlaw, who did not have a good game, I wanted to talk about the absence of Jimmy Ward and get your thoughts. Because as much as we know his significance to that to that team and he's gone for another three games because of the injury i felt that in the second half and especially with the secondary breakdowns and in the, the touchdown pass to equiminius uh, st brown i i felt that jimmy ward there was a cause and effect with his absence who was sort of the quarterback of that that back seven a guy who puts people in the right spot him not being there led a lot towards that confusion and or if he's there that doesn't happen Are you with me on that I'm with you on that one. I, I'm with you on that one. But again, it's kind of like the George Kittle conversation. You need to be able to beat the Bears without Jimmy Ward. Like you, like we can look at it, and 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 a few people did mention. Boy, I'm a little worried about Jimmy Ward not being out there. Not only week one, but for at least the first four weeks of the season. And of course, everybody on the offensive side is going to focus on Kittle, and then Mitchell goes down, and all like all of those are fair, and I think they're fair concerns for the game tomorrow, but. It's one thing to say, you know, that might be the reason why you don't beat the Rams or you don't beat Denver or you don't beat Kansas City coming up later on in the year. It can't be the reason you don't beat the Bears or the Seahawks or the Panthers or the Falcons in in these first six weeks of the season. I mean, those are the games, and I get it. You may not win all of them as I list all these games in the the W category, but you probably aren't going to lose all the games that you'd put in in the tougher game category either. The point I'm getting at is... It, it, yeah, it's problematic, but if you're that talented, you should be able to overcome it and and still win the football game. And the Niners were in position to win that football game. And as we start to to tie things back into tomorrow here in the in the final hour, it it's pretty simple for me, man. It's it's no excuses tomorrow. Like go go win the damn game tomorrow against Seattle. 
Get the job done. I don't care about the elements. I don't care about whether Kittle plays or not. I don't care about whether you're not going to have Jimmy Ward again and you don't have Elijah Mitchell. Go win the damn game or you've earned every single bit of negativity and controversy that comes with it. We were talking about a Super Bowl caliber team eight days ago. If you're 0-2 against those two, your season is off to, I'll say it, Dan, a joke of a start if you can't get the job done tomorrow. Yeah, you're right. You get to a certain point, whether it's rain in Chicago, no George Kittle, no Jimmy Ward, it's still a team you should beat. And I think the same holds true prior to kickoff of the Seattle Seahawks. Just at the end of the game, have more points than that of Seattle. And there's every team. Look, at Seattle's without Jamal Adams, right, who might be their best football player. Every team deals with this sort of thing. But if you're, quote-unquote, a Super Bowl contender or one of the top-tier teams in the NFC, I'm with you. I'll print up the T-shirts. Just win the damn game. All right, he's Dan Devone. I'm John Dickinson, 888-957-9570. Sal and Fairfield's going to be first at the top of the final hour. We'll refocus things back toward the Seattle matchup and just how much pressure is on the 49ers tomorrow, how much pressure is on Trey Lance with all the outside noise about the potential already for a quarterback change. I also want Dan to define uh, something he said earlier when he was talking about a longer leash for Trey Lance than a lot of people may suspect. That's all coming up. Final hour right here on 95.7 The Game. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 